0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Chapter 48. In the previous two chapters we learned that human nature is that if someone loves you and cares about you you can't help but love them and care about them in return the heart is like a mirror and you can try it, try the experiment try loving someone and caring about them especially if you demonstrate that love they can't help but like you back in return and care about you in return So he says that when we think about, we meditate and reflect how much Hashem cares about us and loves us. So much so that He personally took us out of Egypt and not just 3,322 years ago, We have to remember and relive and re experience the exodus from Egypt twice every day, in the morning and the evening, because Hashem is constantly taking us out of Egypt. Where do we see this? Just like we find the expression, the God of Abraham. We say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not called the God of the angels the God of Angel Gabriel, or the God of Angel Michael, Michael, or Raphael. God does not associate himself with angels. Angels are creatures, created beings, spiritual beings, but created beings. And God is completely transcendent, transcends the angels. So God doesn't associate himself with the angels. He can't say the God of Michael, of Michal, the angel Michal. But yet, God is called the God of Abraham. They were chariots to God. They were unified with God. So much so that God said, they are mine. And God associated himself with them. And so to each and every Jew. Each and every Jew says... In every blessing, before we do a mitzvah, we say, Baruch Hata Hashem Elokeinu. God is my God. Just like we say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God Elokeinu, our God. Elokeinu, my God. God associates Himself with me. He's married to me. He has invested Himself. He's intimate with me. He lifts me up from whatever situation I find myself in. Just like when the Jews were in Egypt, notwithstanding the fact that they reached the 49 levels of impurity, and yet God lifted them up, whether they were deserving or undeserving, and He lifted them up and brought them to his innermost chamber brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them the Torah he hugged them he kissed them he was intimate with them he brought them to the innermost chambers where the ministers are not allowed in the ministers are the angels not allowed in because the king is not intimate with his ministers but he was intimate with us he married us and he associated his holiness his transcendent self his intimate self with us so much so that he said we can say Elokeinu God is my God my personal God That is the ultimate exodus from Egypt. That lifts us above all the limitations. And that soothes our existential angst. This is the only thing that can soothe and solve solve the pain that we have. And Hashem elevates us and redeems us out of our personal Egypt. So if you think about it, if you're aware of it, your friend loves you but you're not aware of it then it doesn't do anything for you but if the moment you're aware of it the moment we realize the moment we open ourselves up to it, and we realize how much God cares for us and loves us and he associates himself with us not only great Jews like Abraham Isaac and Jacob us simple Jews living in a very not in the most spiritually exalted time Environment here and now, you and I, actually now, this today, Hashem elevates us and lifts us out of our own personal Egypt, and He cares about us, and He is attracted to us, and He's intimate with us, and He hugs us and He kisses us, and He loves us. How can we help ourselves but reciprocate that love? That was the in a gist. That's what we learn. In a nutshell, that's what we learned in the previous two chapters. In the next two chapters, he's going to elaborate on this theme. And he's going to explain how creation, creation itself is the ultimate act of love of Hashem. Because creation could only come about and this is the revolution, the revolutionary concept introduced by the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, Rabbi Isaac Luria from Tzvat, 16th century Kabbalist. And he explained, he turned the whole, our whole understanding of creation on its head. The classical understanding, Maimonides' understanding of creation is creation is an expression of God's creativity, just like when a person creates, the artist. So the work of art is an expression, self-expression of your creativity, of your brilliance, of your genius, of your creative ability. So too, this world is an expression of God's intelligence, of God's intelligent design. You see the intelligence in everything that exists, such infinite intelligence. You see the handiwork of God comes the Arizal and says, no. Creation is not an expression, not self-expression. The foundation of creation is self-forgetfulness. In order to create, God had to contract himself. God had to remove himself. Because had God expressed himself, since God is infinite, Even His expression is also infinite. Which would leave no room for existence. Because all that exists is God. There's nothing else besides God. So it would not leave any room for existence. Creation comes about as a result of the ultimate act of love. That God removed Himself, so to speak. Enabling us, allowing us to exist to come into existence, to sense ourselves as beings that are separate from God. Although the truth remains that we are not separate from God. There is nothing besides God. But God created a reality which we can perceive ourselves as being separate from God. So this is the foundation of marriage. This is the foundation of relationship. This is the whole foundation of creation. It's the ultimate selfless act. It's the ultimate act of love. God removes himself and creates the space, allows us to exist in relation to him and allows us to willingly and deliberately choose to have a relationship with him. And that relationship is meaningful. So when you, th- when you think, when you realize, and that's what he's going to explain at great detail, at great length, in the following two chapters, which are very profound and very deep chapters, but once you realize, the point is, he's trying to make, once you realize how creation is the ultimate act of God's love for us, then how much more so you can't help but love God in return. That the act of creation, each and every moment, is the ultimate act of self-forgetfulness. How God forgets about Himself. We can't help but reciprocate and forget about about ourselves for a moment. In in kind, also reciprocate that love. Get beyond our egos for a moment. Get beyond ourselves. Also, in a moment of self-forgetfulness, we have this relationship with Hashem. And we won't let anything stop us just like God didn't allow anything to stop him when God totally contracted himself, forgot about himself, just to enable us to exist, so so, so too we also have to forget about ourselves, contract ourselves, transcend our egos, and connect with Hashem, connect with the Divine. Forget about ourselves for a moment and get lost in this love and this relationship with Hashem and studying Torah and doing mitzvah. And now he's going to explain this idea that creation could only come about by the ultimate act of love, by the act of self-negation. Only out of God's love for us, his infinite love for us, did he totally, so to speak, remove himself just in order to give us the space to exist, to create us, to bring us into... Existence. Okay, let's start on top of it seven oh eight.
2: Having previously explained that Hashem showed his love for the Jewish people by taking them out of the physical servitude of Egypt, the Alta Rebbe concluded chapter forty seven by describing the love Hashem shows his people by releasing them from a spiritual dimension of Egyptian bondage. This spiritual exodus is daily manifest with all Jewish souls. It is natural, therefore, that Jews should reciprocate with love, like the water that mirrors the face of the beholder, and thereby strive to overcome all obstacles that hinder the service of Hashem. Contemplating the greatness of the blessed Ein Tso, the thinking person will come to a realization that as his name indicates, so is he. There is no end or limit or finitude to all, at all to the light and vitality that diffused from his simple will. Simple in the sense that it has no cause, nor is it subject to the limitations inherent in mortal will.
1: The en Sof, the ur en Sof, the whole Kabbalah is based on, discusses the Ur-En-Saf, God's infinite light. So, firstly, he clarifies. When we say, when we speak of God's infinite light, the infinite, the light of the infinite, what are we referring to? When we say the light of the sun, there is the sun, which is the orb, the source, and the sun emanates light, and heat, and light, energy. When we say the light of the ain self, we are not the ain self, the infinite is not referring to God. Because God God is not infinite. You cannot describe God as being infinite. You can't describe God, period. God is not only infinite, God is undefined. Infinite is a description. It's a definition. It's infinite and not finite. It's in the category of the infinite, not in the category of the finite. God's essence is undefined. The moment you open your mouth, the moment you say any word about God, it has nothing to do with God. The moment you try to define God, God is beyond any definition. Infinite is our description. It's infinite. Infinite. But it's a definition. So you can't say when you say "ur in the light of the infinite One. The Kabbalists are not referring to that. God is ein sof, just like the end, just like the sun emanates light. So too, God emanates light from within Himself. No. We're referring to the light. The light is infinite. The ur, the light of God, is infinite because. Creation comes about from the light of God. Just like the sun gives off light, so too, God's essence also gives off light. But just like the light of the sun, even though the light of the sun is not the sun itself, the sun could exist whether there is light, there is no light. The light doesn't add doesn't distract from the sun, doesn't add anything to the sun. The light is completely external to the sun. The sun doesn't even have to be engaged in giving off light. It's automatic. It happens automatic. It's not like the sun invests itself in giving off light. It's not like when you take water, when you take, draw water from the reservoir, you're taking a piece of the water and you're drawing it from the water, uh, the reservoir, and you're, and you're pouring it into, into, your, into your cup. So you've taken a piece of the reservoir. When the sun gives off light, the sun is not giving a piece of itself. It lost a piece of itself. It's not like when a teacher teaches. A teacher teaches, it's not like the light of the sun. The teacher doesn't just sit there and automatically wisdom just emanates from the teacher. And the students just absorb wisdom. That's not how it works. The teacher has to engage in the students. He has to talk to the students. He has to think about what he's going to say. He has to make sure that he's speaking on the level of the students, that they'll understand, they'll relate, they'll be interested, they'll find it interesting, they'll learn something. He has to take deep concepts and try to put it into simple terms. He has to be engaged. And when he's engaged, he can think about other things. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes a piece out of you. It takes a piece of yourself. When you're teaching, it takes a piece of you. You're engaged, you're involved, you're invested. Before you teach, you're preparing. While you're teaching, you're fully engaged. After you teaching, you observe how your students absorb what you taught them, if they got it, if it clicked, if they understood it. So you're giving a piece of yourself versus this, the light of the sun, the sun giving off light, the sun doesn't, give, doesn't invest itself. It's not the sun is giving a piece of itself. It's totally irrelevant to the sun. Whether the sun is shining, it's a cloudy day, the sun is not shining. It's not the sun becomes hotter, it adds anything to the sun, it attracts from the sun. It doesn't affect the sun one way or the other. So, which explains why creation does not affect God. The prophet says, in the name of God, God says, I have not changed. Creation has not changed The question is, what do you mean God is not affected by creation? How can you say God is not affected by creation? When a teacher teaches, he's affected. Even though he's the teacher and he's the master and the students are the students. He's totally beyond the level of the students. But nevertheless, he's affected by the act of teaching. The act of teaching affects him. Before he teaches and while he teaches and after he teaches. So he's involved and he's affected. So if God creates the world, God is involved in creation. How can the world not affect him? God is not affected by his... By created beings, by his creation. Not by humans, not by angels, not by, he's not affected by the whole, by life, and by, God remains unaffected, unchanged. Just like he was alone before he created the world, he remains alone after he created the world. How is that possible? And this is why the analogy of the sun is very helpful. Just like the sun gives off, emanates rays, light, energy heat and the sun is not affected by the light the light doesn't affect the sun whether it does is give off light if it doesn't give off light it doesn't add it doesn't detract it doesn't affect the sun the sun is not involved the sun is not giving a piece of itself into the light it's totally external to the sun it makes no difference so too God's essence God is also the light of God infinite light God also has a light and it's this light of God that creates the world. That, and that creates the world and sustains the world and animates the world. Which explains why God himself is not affected, remains unaffected. How God can say, I remain unaffected by this world. Because all of creation only touches the light of God and the light of god is something just like the light of the sun and doesn't affect the sun the sun is not affected by it, it doesn't matter it doesn't it's totally external superficial to the sun so to all of creation only reaches and only touches god's infinite god's light not god's essence so god's essence remains completely unaffected by creation so life and creation and everything this whole universe material and spiritual The sublime beings, higher levels of consciousness, this whole universe, God remains unaffected. This is the Jewish understanding of God versus the non Jewish understanding of God. That God is the master, we are the students, and God is affected by creation. It affects him. He's involved, he's engaged, he creates, and he can't help but be affected by creation. Whether we amuse him, or he smiles, or he's angry, or this, but he's affected. But the Jewish understanding is not so. God's essence remains unaffected. Because all of creation only touches God's infinite light. Now, God's light is called the infinite light. Again, the infinite does not refer to God himself, because God is not infinite. God is undefined. If you want to describe God, it's not that He has no end. The ultimate description of God is God has no beginning. That's the definition of God. Not only He's infinite, He has no end, but He also has no beginning. So it's only God's light that emanates from God that you can describe as being infinite. But we don't say that God's light has no beginning. It has a beginning. It emanates from God. So God is the beginning. The light is infinite. But it does have a beginning. It has a source. Only God himself has no source, has no beginning. God is. So God is not only infinite, God has no beginning. Not only God has no end, God has no beginning. And God is undefined. So when we say or and sav we're describing the light, that God's light that emanates from God is infinite. Why is God's light infinite? It has a beginning. Why is God's light infinite? Why doesn't it have an end? Because just like the sun, the light of the sun emanates from the sun and it reflects the sun. Yes, the sun doesn't invest itself in its light. But the light does point to the sun. And from seeing the light, I get an idea what the sun is all about. I can see the sun. Through the light, I see the sun. I follow the light, I see the sun. And the light gives off heat. I know the sun is hot. The light gives off lights. I know the sun is, is illumination. because it gives off, it reflects. The light reflects what the sun is all about. Yes, it's not a piece of the sun. And the sun doesn't invest a piece of itself in its light, but the light is connected to the sun and is a true and accurate reflection of what the sun is all about. So too, God's light, since God himself is infinite and undefined, so too God's light also reflects God. And that light is divine and godly and infinite. And that's why this divine light creates and sustains and animates all of the world because it's a reflection of God. And that's why he starts out here. We started saying contemplating the greatness of the blessed, the thinking person. This is the first time in Netanya that he says the thinking person because here he's delving very deeply into very profound concepts that he's touching upon so he's talking to someone who the thinking person who is knowledgeable in the hasidic teachings because all everything that he's going to explain in this chapter and the following chapter needs a lot of explanation this is not this is not for the uh, timid <laughs> and that 's why he left it for chapter forty eight and forty nine after you learned the first forty seven the introduction of the first forty seven chapters now we 're ready you came at the right chapter now you 're ready to to get your feet wet and go let 's go a little deeper you know let 's take it to the next level. The plot thickens, so he 's starting to discuss the whole idea of the Eu stuff, the infinite light, which really is a very fundamental. Idea in Hasidic Hasidic thinking and Jewish thinking, which really helps explain creation, because otherwise the whole thing makes no sense. How is it possible that God Himself creates the world, His essence creates the world, is involved in creation? If God's essence is involved in creation and invested in creation and engaged in creation, then how can God not be affected by creation? And the answer is it's God's light. That God it emanates from God. So the whole creation only touches God's light. And God's light is infinite, just like God is infinite. The only difference is that light of the sun has no choice. It's automatic. The sun gives off light, whether the sun chooses to or wants to or doesn't want to. That's just the way God created the world. The sun gives off light. It doesn't have a choice. But when it comes to God, there's no such thing as automatic. It's only because God wanted to. God wanted to emanate a light from within himself. Nothing forces God. Nothing is a God. It's not that if you have God, just like if you have a sun, automatically there has to be light. So if there's God, there has to be the infinite light that emanates from God. No, it doesn't have to be. That's what he concludes. There is no end or limit of finitude to all at all to the light and vitality that diffuse from His simple will. This light comes from His will only because God wants to. If God wants, there is no light. Why is there light? Because He wants so there to be a light. And the will, it's his simple will, it's his will. And this will causes the light to emanate from within God. Now will also has limitations. Because will is not unlimited and will is not undefined. But God's will, when we say that God wants, when we speak of God, we can only speak in terms of negation. That God has all the advantages, all the strengths that we have without any of the lackings, without any... So we're negating that God wants, it's not forced, but God wants. But we don't mean will as in the human will. Human will is, again, it's finite, it's limited, it's defined. God is undefined. His will is one within God. And God is absolute and undefined. Not only infinite, undefined, so too His will is also infinite, undefined, unlimited. We don't even have the language, we don't even have, we can't even begin to describe God's will. So all we're saying is by way of negation that God desired, He's not forced to. If He doesn't want, there is no light. But we're not limiting it to will as an our concept of will. We can't define God and describe something like will, describe that to God, to God's essence. God's essence is undefined, will is defined. So he's saying that this will of God, this simple will, is unified with his essence, and in perfect unity with God's essence. Just like God is infinite and undefined, his essence which is undefined. And that's the source of the infinite light. It transcends the infinite light. So his will, that desire that there should be an infinite light, is, is one with God's essence, inseparable from God. It is God, God's essence, which is undefined. So his will is also undefined. So we're not trying to describe God's will. We don't, we, we're just saying that God's will, that it's not forced. And if God wants, there is no light it's all God only because God wants so we're only speaking of by way of negation that to say it's God's will and not forced but not by any way that God we're talking of God's will analogous to man's will because man's will is defined and God's will is one with his essence which is truly undefined
0: the light and vitality that emanate from God in order that He creates and animates finite worlds are in no way similar to light and vitality as they are found within created beings. Light that emanates from a created being is not limited by the capacity of the recipient. On the other hand, the luminary has no control over its power of illumina- illumination having, be, be, having been created as a luminary, it has no choice but to illuminate divine, divine light, or however while possessing all the positive qualities of, illumina- of illumination has found is created luminaries shares known of, of its defen- de- deficiencies. Light emanates from the luminary only when the luminary desires that it is do so. The will of created beings likewise has strengths and weaknesses, weaknesses. Though it chooses freely, it is by is very nature limited and restricted. God's will, by contrast, while maintaining the positive attributes of the mortal will, is encumbered by known odds of, of its limitation. His will to, illuminate, to il- il- illuminate, for example, is unbounded, just as he himself is without limit- limitation. Being infinite. God like cannot give rise to created and fi- 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 finite beings unless it first undergoes the seri- series of self-limiting, self-concealing, contraction known as Tsimsu Min as is
1: now stated. So even God desired that he should emanate from within himself a light. But since the light reflects himself, the light is ein The light itself is infinite. And therefore, from that light, you cannot create finite beings. The world as we know it, we cannot come into existence. Not only we. Even the higher realms, the spiritual realm, cannot come into existence from this light. Because God's light is infinite. And the light is overwhelming, and there's no other reality but God. that doesn't give any room, doesn't leave any room for anything outside of God. Not only God's essence, but even God's light. And therefore, there had to be this concept of Tsimtzum. Creation is not self-expression. Creation is about self-forgetfulness. God had to contract His infinite light, had to hide His infinite light, conceal His infinite light, and create a space, remove Himself, so to speak, and create a space and allow us, give us the room, allow us to give us the perception of, <coughs> exist, <coughs> of existence of something outside of God. Separate from God. So this is all a prelude to help us understand how the whole foundation of creation is based on self-forgetfulness, on symptom, on concealing. God had to hide His infinite light. God cannot hide Himself. There is no hiding. God's essence is fully manifest. As we discussed in one of the Kabbalah shows, Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, called God's Essence Fully Revealed. God's essence, there is no hiding. There is no concealment, there is no contraction. It's not even possible beyond the definition of hiding, concealing, God's essence is, God is, period. The whole contraction only affected God's light, God's revelation, God's expression, the light that emanates from God, God's manifestation. In that infinite light, there could be contraction. And even that contraction as we learned in the second part of Tanya, in the seventh chapter, great length, is not literal. It's not literally that God removed himself. Because he can't remove, as he's going to explain here as well, he can't remove the infinite light. The contraction is only, that means that God concealed himself. That he gave us, the, he allowed us the perception of being disconnected. It's only our perception changed. But the truth is the reality did not change. Just like God's infinite light filled all of existence, so too even now God's infinite light fills all of existence. Here and now. But the contraction was effective in that we don't sense that infinite light. So we perceive it as if it's not here and that's what he's going to explain in this chapter but now he's going to explain why there had to be a tzimtzum versus hishtalshalos hishtalshalos means cause and effect like the teacher teaching his students like a mother giving birth to a child like an idea giving birth to an emotion. An emotion gives giving birth to thought. Thought giving birth to speech. Speech giving birth to action. This is what we cause, call a chain effect. Cause and effect. The cause leads to the effect, which becomes the cause of the next effect. And one step leads to the next step. And that's how the non-Jews understood creation. That God is the master. God is the original cause. And we are his effect. But this is not the Jewish understanding of creation. The Jewish understanding of creation is that it cannot be by way of cause and effect. Because cause and effect, the cause and the effect are close to each other. They affect each other. And they are affected by each other. Not only is the effect affected by the cause, but the cause is affected by by, by the effect. The child affects the mother. When the mind is engaged and the mind helps produce emotions, the emotions affect the parent, the concept, the mind. The student affects his teacher. They affect affect each other. Even though the hierarchy is clear. This is the cause and this is the effect. This is on top and this is on pattern. This is primary and this is secondary. But primary and secondary, they still have a relationship, they still have a connection. Just like the chain, the chain can have many, many rungs. But the top of the rung and the bottom of the rung are still connected to each other. Because each rung is connected to the other rung and all the way back to the art to its original course. So this whole concept of creation, which the scientist and the religious person all share. They both believe in cause. Only argument, what what is the original cause? So the religious person believes that God is the original cause, and the scientist is looking for the scientific theory for the Big Bang, trying, trying to get around the God issue and trying to find the scientific original cause. But ultimately, they're all working in this frame of reference of cause and effect and there's a closeness between the cause and the effect but the Jewish understanding of creation is not that way because it's impossible that creation should be via cause and effect because if that would be the case since the infinite light which is the energy with which God creates the world God's infinite light that he he desired to emanate from within himself which reflects himself and is infinite the or ain't soft, or well, the ain't soft. If creation would come about by way of cause and effect, then we would cease to exist, because everything would be infinite. How do you get from infinite to finite? There has to be a radical leap. How do you get from infinite to finite? you can have not only a thousand steps, you can have a million steps. How do you get from infinite to finite? If the infinite will will go from step to step, one level to another level, even the lowest level still has to have some connection to the infinite. How do you get from infinite to finite? There's no way, no matter how much you, you lower yourself, no matter how much you... You continue to go down one level, another level, the other level. Even the lowest level in the chain has some connection to the top of the chain, because it, it's all like rungs. One is connected to the other, just like action is connected to, to speech, and speech is connected to thought, and thought is connected to emotion, emotion is connected to, to, to ideas. So ultimately, they're all connected. There's a connection, it's a chain. What we call Herstalschutz, cause and effect. So if the original cause is God's infinite light, so even if if God emanated from within himself and it descended from one level to the next level, to a lower level, to a lower level, ad infinitum, it would still ultimately, you would end up with something infinite. How do you end up with something finite? How do you end up with a finite world, a limited world? A defined world, and and not only a defined world, a finite world not even infinite, the finite world. How do you end up? This could only come about through Tzimtzum, a quantum leap, a radical leap, an abrupt disconnect from its origin, a radical shift, totally out of the box, Because if you stay within the box, no, no matter how much you try to change, you can't get from here to there. To get from infinite to finite, it's only comes about through tzimt. And that's what he's going to explain here.
3: Had the worlds descended from the light of the blessed Ein Sof without contractions, but according to a gradual des- descent from grade to grade by means of cause and effect, the loftier level being the direct cause for the manifestation of the level immediately following it. Such is the case with regard to thought and speech. That which a person speaks is first found within his thoughts. Thought is the cause and speech is the effect. Though thought is more spiritual than speech, the two levels stand in a certain proportion to each other. In that, for example, both are composed of letters that form words. And so with every cause and effect relationship the effect must partake of the characteristics of its cause. It would be impossible for a cause to bring into existence an effect, which is infinitely removed from it. Since the light and vitality, the creative power, that emanates from God is infinite, while created beings are finite, it goes without saying that they could not possibly have come into being in a manner of cause and effect. For if this were the case, this world and all it contains Would not have been created in its present form, in a finite and limited order. From the earth to the firmament, it is a distance of five hundred years.
1: The Talmud discusses the the universe is limited. Every there are seven heavens. Every heaven is like a distance of five hundred years. Whether it means whatever that means practically, whether it means light years or, but it means that every universe has a limit. Even though the universe is so vast, it has a limit, and then the distance between one universe and the next also has a limit, and then the following universe. So we are characterized by, by being defined and limited. Even if it's a great, even if it's great, but it's not infinite. Everything has a definition. Everything has a limit, and that's what characterizes our our worlds, and not only our worlds, but even the heavens. The heavenly world, yes, continue. And similarly,
3: similarly, the distance between one firmament and the next, and so also the radial extent of each firmament is a distance of 500 years, and all of the above applies to this world. And
1: this is only this world. And then he continues, you want to continue?
3: Even the world to come in
2: the higher level of Gan Eden, the abode of the souls of the great Siddiquim and the souls themselves, and needless to add, the angels are all in the realm of bounds and limitation. The Rebbe the denotes, okay. although it was indicated early in chapter 39, that souls delight in Hashem and derive pleasure from and comprehend the infinite ein Sof light. This poses no difficulty.
1: Even the world to come, and the Garden of Eden, which is the, the house of the souls of the great Righteous ones and the souls are even deeper than the world. The world is just the background, but the souls are much deeper than the worlds that they reside in, the spiritual realms that they reside in. And how much more so the angels, which are, 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 on, are on a lower level than the souls. <coughs> but all of them are finite, finite beings. The soul is finite. The world is finite, the angels are finite, the souls are finite. Although the Alta said that the souls enjoy, and that's the reward, when the souls, after a person passes away, the soul goes on to its eternal reward. The soul delights and basks in God's radiance and is able to internalize and absorb and understand, comprehend, uh, God's infinite self, infinite light, which is which is the reward, and this is called nourishment of the soul. Just like when you understand something, it nourishes you. So too, the soul is able to understand and comprehend godliness. So how can we say that, that the soul cannot understand the infinite? So he says...
2: For there is a limit to their apprehension of the light of the blessed eye soul, which shines upon them through being clothed in Chabad and so on. Souls and angels which, peop, which people these worlds comprehend Hashem, Hashem's godliness as a result of its vestiture in, in the Chabad, the worlds. Though lofty, their comprehension is nonetheless limited. Yes,
1: yeah, so they're able to comprehend a ray, a light of a, a ray of a glimmer of the infinite, but not the infinite The way the infinite is for itself, truly infinite. Because that's impossible. A finite soul cannot possibly comprehend and grasp that which is infinite. It's only the way the infinite light is screened through the idea of Chabad, through wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So it's channeled through wisdom, understanding, and knowledge so the soul has some idea, some concept of the infinite. But it's, it's not the infinite itself. It's the infinite. The way the infinite is screened. Just like you can't look at the sun itself. It's too bright. But if you, you screen through a screen, you can see it. So the sun is black. The sun is, you're not getting the sun in, the, in its purity. You're getting the sun in its, the way it's being screened. So too, the infinite light, the way it's being screened and channeled through wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So you're not getting the pure infinite because it's impossible. Otherwise, it would be impossible. How can a finite soul... Comprehend that which is infinite. If you were able to comprehend that which is infinite, you yourself would be infinite. You would no longer be finite. It's impossible. Just like physically. Could you fit an elephant into this cup? No. Because the elephant is big and the cup is small. So that's even two finite things. You can't fit... Something larger into something smaller. So how could you fit something infinite into something finite? If you can't fit something larger into something smaller, if you're going to fit something infinite into something finite. It makes no sense. So even the soul, the pure souls in heaven, after living a life and being purified and being elevated in the highest levels, the highest levels of the Garden of Eden, pure minds, pure intellect, and yet, their comprehension, how could they comprehend something that's infinite? It's impossible. How can something finite, no matter how exalted, no matter how deep, how profound, higher levels of consciousness, the highest level of consciousness, the most mind-blowing experience, it's still finite. How can you possibly absorb something that's inherent, that's infinite? It's impossible. If the elephant can't fit into this cup, surely the infinite can't fit into the finite No matter how great the finite is, it's finite and it's not infinite. But so when he says that that's the reward of the soul, the soul is able to catch a ray of a glimpse of the infinite, that's exactly what it is a ray of a glimpse. It's able to screen through the way the infinite is screened through bina das, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, it's able to gain some comprehension, some insight, which is enough to nourish the soul, and to feed the soul, that there are souls in the Garden of Eden where they are thousands of years. And every day, they achieve a new insight. Every day, their reward just deepens. They, they receive a new insight and a new ecstasy and a new pleasure, a whole new revelation, a whole new understanding of godliness. And yet all their understanding and all their elevations over thousands of years only reaches and touches not God's infinite self because God's infinite self cannot be revealed without nullifying the created being. It's God's infinite self the way it's screened, the way it's, the way it's channeled and limited and contracted through the Chabad, the wisdom, understanding and knowledge. But not God himself and his infinite light in itself. It would be completely nullified if that were the case continue, hence chachma, wisdom, understanding and knowledge, in other words the way God reveals himself through, God emanated from within himself, wisdom, understanding and knowledge so God reveals himself and channels himself through wisdom, understanding and knowledge, through concepts so you can have godly concepts and you can grow in these godly concepts and you can grow for thousands of years and every day you'll be an astonishing breakthrough an astonishing new insight, it'll give you tremendous delight and pleasure and it's the ultimate reward and it keeps them busy. The souls are busy. What do you think they're doing in heaven? All day and all night. They're constantly growing in their understanding and their comprehension of godliness. Their eternal reward. And they're restless and they're constantly growing. Three times a day, they're moving. And every Shabbos, and every Hashanah, every holiday, another breakthrough and another breakthrough. But all of these breakthroughs, thousands of years, the greatest souls, is just a, a, a ray of a glimmer of the infinite not the infinite itself it's impossible by definition if you can't fit the elephant in this cup how are you going to fit something infinite in something finite it's impossible
2: hence there is also a limit to the enjoyment that they derive from the race of the Shekhinah and to their pleasure in the light of Hashem for they are incapable of deriving enjoyment in the light of an infinite order without being nullified out of their existence
1: and returning to their source. If you were to understand the infinite, you would cease to exist. Then you would be the infinite. You would be one without Hashem, you would cease to exist. There is a barrier, there is a ceiling, which you cannot breach. Otherwise you would cease to exist. By definition, we are created beings. We perceive ourselves as separate from God. The soul is a conscious being, a sentient being, a conscious being that's separate from God. It's holy, its mind is fully engaged in understanding godliness and comprehending godliness. But the souls, the angels, they're created beings, they're not God. So as holy as they are, as exalted as they are, as sublime as they are, as heavenly as they are, as deep and profound, it's not God. God is infinite. Not only God is infinite, his light is infinite. And you can't look at that light, and you can't comprehend that light. Because if it were you to comprehend it, you would cease to exist. You'd be completely nullified within your source. Then you'd become part of the source.
2: Thus, even the creatures of the highest spiritual (coughs) world are finite beings. And in order for them to be created in a finite manner, the process of con- must be invoked. Being finite, they are totally dissimilar to their source, the infinite godly light that exists prior to contraction.
1: So this is why we must say the whole foundation of creation, as it says in the Torah, in bara Elohim. God created the world, Elohim. Elohim is God's name for tzimtzum. God hid himself. He contracted himself. Because creation could only come about through God's ability to hide, to conceal, to contract. Which explains why. When God created the world, it says God wanted to create the world through the attribute of severity. But he saw the world cannot last. So he, he added the attribute of mercy and compassion. That's why in the beginning it says, God created the world with the name of Lakim, because God wanted, desired that the world should be created based on din, on justice, on contraction. But God saw the world cannot last, and that's why later on it says in the verse, the day that God made, B'yoyim Masayis Hashem both names. Hashem is God's name for compassion. And Elokim is severity and restraint and justice. So it's only when God saw that the world could not last that uh, he, he put the two together. Why would God want to create the world with justice? Harsh justice. Why didn't God want to create the world with compassion? Only he saw there was no choice, so he created the world with compassion. The act of creation is the act of love. Because this is the whole foundation of creation. The whole foundation of creation is not self-expression. Because if God expressed himself, we could not exist. Because God is infinite. And God's expression is infinite. And his light is infinite. The light that God desires from within himself reflects the source. God is undefined and infinite, and the light is also infinite. It's the already in self. The light is infinite. And therefore, there is no room for anything but God. But God, out of His love for us, out of His ultimate love and kindness, He removed Himself, created an empty space, allowing us to exist. And that's the foundation of creation. That's the ultimate act of love. but God had to add, mix in the attribute of compassion because it was total concealment. Even now when we have compassion mixed in, we are barely making it. (laughs) We barely sense anything godly. We barely act godly. We barely connect with anything godly. Could you imagine if the way God intended this world to be, this world would be completely based on restraint and restriction and concealment, then we would be totally lost. So God had compassion. He, he mixed in compassion. He, he revealed himself through miracles. He gave us the Torah. He revealed the righteous ones, the holy Jews who perform miracles in every generation. These revelations of godliness, these bolting, these bolts of lightning, these illuminations, give us the courage and the strength to remember and to connect with something godly. If all we had was concealment, we would be completely lost. But even when God mixed in compassion, to to throw in some illumination, but the fundamental, the the foundation of creation is not self-expression. The foundation of creation is self-forgetfulness. God removed himself, so to speak. In the ultimate act of love, just in order to enable us to exist. As Darizal says, in the beginning, God's, God's infinite light filled the whole world. And then God, it was a tzimtzum, a radical leap, the ultimate contraction. And God created, so to speak, a, an empty space. And all of the creation, the whole universe, exists within this empty space. He removed himself. He enabled something to exist, so to speak, outside of himself. That We perceive ourselves as being separate. From and we can choose to have a relationship with him. And then, after the Tzimtzum was a ray of light, which he shined into this empty space. And this ray of light, that created all the worlds, the world of emanation and the world of creation. That's where God emanated from, from within himself. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love, strength, compassion, all of these human and very defined attributes. God is undefined. But it's only within this empty space and within this symptom, as a result of the symptom, as a result of God's infinite love for us, that He contracted Himself and emanated from within Himself all these attributes. So we should be able to relate to God. We can relate to wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love, strength, compassion. These are all attributes we can relate to. God wanted us to be able to relate to Him. As Rabbi Dov Ber, gave the analogy, he says, the father wants to relate to his little baby, a little child. Imagine Einstein wants to relate to his little kid, little baby. What's he going to do? He's going to start talking about his theory of relativity. <laughs> and the kid will cry. So Einstein gets on all four and starts playing, playing horsey and starts playing silly. And the kid is laughing and he's tickling his baby. And they're, they're, they're getting along great. They're communicating. They understand each other. So that Einstein cease to be Einstein because he's acting? Someone walked into the room and sees Einstein rolling on the ground and acting foolish. So Einstein is no longer Einstein? No, he's talking to his child, this baby. So God, out of his infinite love for us, God is undefined. There's no language, there's no communication. How do we even begin? So God, out of his infinite love for us, contracted himself. And condensed himself and revealed himself through wisdom, understanding, knowledge. We talk of the divine wisdom, divine knowledge, divine love. And it's only because out of God's love for us, He wants to communicate to us. He wants us to be able to communicate to Him. So we talk of God's love. We know what love is, so we talk of God's infinite love. So we have some language, some common language, language we can talk to. And that's the mistake of all other religions. You know, they associate God as love. God is love? God is philosophy. Wisdom. God is love. Wisdom. God is higher levels of consciousness. Mysticism. God is higher levels of consciousness. What what are you talking about? God is undefined. God is no beginning and no end, and God is undefined, and God is infinite and undefined. We don't, even have the, we, have, we don't even have, not only we don't know God, we can not know God. We don't even have the words, we don't even have the tools with which to know God. We're not God. Imagine trying to describe to a blind person what, what uh, the color red means. It's impossible. He'll never understand. He can't understand because he, he never saw in his life. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know what you're talking about. He has no frame of reference. You can only understand from your own personal experience. Could you imagine eight senses? It's impossible. Why not? So imagine, imagine another sense. You have eyes, you have ears. Think up of another sense. You can't. Even the most imaginative fiction writer can only, only play with what you know. Martian ears, a thousand ears, big eyes, big nose. But you can't think of something that you can't... Why, not? why can't you think of another sense? Like eyes and ears. You can't. It's impossible. God is limited to five senses. He could have made ten senses, he could have made a hundred cents, could have made a thousand senses, he could have made a million senses. But we, we are like the blind person. We can't even begin to fathom. And this is something that modern physics understands very well. The cutting edge of modern physics, they came to the realization, there's a whole article in the New York Times, a magazine, that they came to the realization that the whole known universe, we only know 4% of the universe. 96% of the universe is not only unknown, but we cannot know. it. We don't even have the tools with which to know. We don't know. We don't... We just... We can't even know it. We don't even know how to approach it. We don't even begin. We don't even have the tools with which to know, not to know. It's totally beyond us. So the whole known universe, our whole discussion of science, is all 4% of the universe. So you're dealing with something that's infinite, that's undefined, that's totally beyond our realm. So at least science today has the humility to appreciate, at least the mind is able to understand, when your mind is able to understand that you're limited. And you can't know, and you appreciate the distance, the gap between us and God. How do you get from infinite to the finite? It's impossible. You can have a thousand rungs, a million rungs, a billion rungs. You you, you still can't get from here to there. Because the last rung still has to be a reflection of the infinite. How do you create souls? How do you create angels? How do you create a world? Sentient beings, spiritual beings, pure spirits, 24-7. Meditate 24-7. And yet, they're finite. And there's an infinite gap between them and God. How do you get from the infinite to the finite? There has to be a tint. The foundation of creation is not self-expression. Self-expression could not allow for creation of finite beings. Since God is infinite and His light is infinite. That emanate from God is also infinite. So how do you get from the infinite light to finite beings? There has to be a tzimtzum, a radical complete self-forgetfulness. God had to totally remove himself, so to speak. But we're going to learn next week, not in the physical sense that God removed himself, but only in uh, in the perception that God removed himself, the perception we don't perceive him. But he has not removed himself. He is here. Not only he is here, his essence is here. His infinite light is here. Nothing changed. But to be continued. Let's, uh, any questions or comments or thoughts? <laughs> this is very heavy-duty stuff. I have a
0: question. <laughs> yes. Uh, is God light, and the sunlight are similar in terms of? A-
1: no. It's the idea. Everything in this world is, is an analogy to help us understand. God. So the sun and the light of the sun is a tremendous aid helping us understand God and his relationship to the world. The idea is just like we see there's a, there's a sun and the sun emanates light. It's, the sun is the source. The light can't exist the moment without the source. The light points to the source. It's nothing other than the source. Everything it has is from the source. And all it has is the source. It's just a reflection of the source. Whatever the sun is, that's what the light is. The sun is an orb of uh, you know, a f- fusion. And the light also is energy and light. It's, it's a reflection of the sun. It's not two separate things. It's a reflection of the sun.
0: But Hashem, light?
1: is No. so, I'm, so Well, that's why, that's why the Kabbalists use the, the term light. Not that God is light, but the term to use light because God emanated from within himself, the infinite light that reflects God. Just like God is infinite, so to his light, his expression, his self-expression, is, his self-expression is also light, is also infinite, and is a reflection of him. So whatever emanates from God, his self-expression is a reflection of God. And therefore, just like God is undefined, self-expression is infinite, and therefore how do you get from something infinite to finite? How is this infinite light, how do you get from this infinite light, how are you able to create souls, angels, worlds, finite beings, defined beings? How is that possible? And the only way is, the answer is Just like God has the ability to emanate light from within himself, God also has the ability which is the idea of Hashem, the name Hashem. But God also has the ability to contract, to conceal, to hide. It's also a divine ability. It's a miraculous ability. But God has the ability to totally conceal himself, to totally hide, remove himself, so to speak. And this is something to refer you to the second part of the Tanya. This is something that we learned in great depth. In the second part of the Tanya, you can find it on lessonsintanya.com, audio. And uh, he discusses chapter three, and then chapter seven, all the chapters in between. He discusses this idea at great length: the idea, the koyachatsimtsum, God's ability to hide and to contract.
2: The is infinite.
1: Yes. But the Torah is like God's infinite light. The Torah is a reflection of God. The Torah is a reflection of God. It's like the infinite light. The Torah is like the infinite light. Everything that's in the sun is also reflected in the light of the sun. Everything that's in God is reflected in the Torah. The Torah is a reflection of God. why The Torah is perfect. The Torah is divine. It's
3: so, the then the
2: finite man can never
1: We'll never know the, the whole t- the Torah. Well, <clears throat> finite man has to approach the Torah with tremendous humility and tremendous appreciation that God gave us the ability to understand the infinite. That's the miracle of the Torah. That's why we learned early in chapter four the Torah is compared to water. Water flows from the peak all the way to the bottom. Water will find the lowest port. But when the water reaches the bottom, it's the very same water that was in the bo- that was on top is now on the bottom. So God concentrated and condensed His infinite light into the Torah that we can relate to. That the order, the track, the order of agriculture. You know, the Mishnah, the oral tradition, is divided into six orders. The order of agriculture talks about farming, agriculture. But it's not agriculture, it's not farming. It's talking about God's infinite wisdom, will and wisdom. But it's enclosed in language that we can understand farming. The order of holy, which deals with sacrifices, deals with animals. We're dealing with animals, animals we can relate to. But we're dealing here with the Torah. It's God's will and God's wisdom. As it has enclosed itself in the physical, in language that we can relate to. But it's the very same infinite will and wisdom of God that's concentrated and found in the Torah. So when a Jewish child, five-year-old child, studies the five books of Moses, and he learns the verse literally, and he understands it literally, on a very simple human level. He's not just studying a nice idea. He is studying the Torah. He is studying the infinite light, God's infinite self, as it's concentrated in this verse, in this story, in this... Understanding concept which the child's mind could wrap his mind around and grasp and understand. But what you're grasping is you're grasping the infinite. That's the gift of Torah. God gave us His gift. This is not physics or math or science. When you study math, physics or science, you're studying something finite and limited. But when you study Torah, you're studying something infinite. And God enabled us to grasp the infinite.
2: But you can never grasp... A human being, even excited can never grasp. No,
1: that's why you study Torah with humility, because as much as you understand, you realize that you're <laughs> dealing with something infinite. And that's why there's infinite explanations in the Torah. The more, the deeper you go, the more you unwrap the Torah, it just is deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more you learn, the more you realize you haven't even started. You haven't even scratched the surface. It's not even like a drop in the ocean in the ocean. Because it's infinite, you're dealing with the infinite. That's why a you, Jew approaches Torah with holiness. You're dealing with something holy here. You're dealing with the divine. You're dealing with the infinite, the infinite light. So you approach the Torah with humility. I understand. You, you humbly try to find the truth in the Torah. What is God saying here? What does God really want?
2: think
1: you found that if like, yes, you just true. didn't scratch the surface? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. That's why it just whets the appetite for more. <laughs> to be continued. This class
0: is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com